I want to welcome you into the Sunday Preaching Podcast of the Point Church, located in beautiful Perdido Key, Florida. I'm Tim Coleman, the senior pastor, and we believe strongly in the expositional preaching of God's Word that builds our faith and grows us up in Christ. I'm glad you're either downloading the sermon or listening live to our service, and I pray that this message is a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join me as we get to the point. Be seated and grab your Bible, would you? And go with me to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, and we're starting a new series today, Stay in the Grace of Jesus. I have been so excited about this series and uh, walking through the book of Galatians. I've been doing a lot of prep and study for it, and I hope that uh, it will uh, fire you up as we uh, point to the cross and to Christ. Let me make a couple of announcements, uh, if I could. First of all, I wanted to say our daughter's here with us today. Rebecca, she's visiting with us. And then my niece, Hannah, is uh, sitting beside my mom. Uh, their, their job, they're on each side of her, and their job is to make sure my mom behaves and listens while I'm preaching. But uh, my niece, Hannah's here today. She just moved to Pensacola. Uh, she's going on staff at First Baptist uh, Church of Pensacola tomorrow uh, in their communications department, and so we're excited for her and glad she could take a Sunday and be with us before she starts that. And Rebecca's uh, visiting with us and uh, brought my grandson with her, and so we've been enjoying Huxley, uh, the Golden Doodle, the last couple of days, and uh, so we're glad to have them. Let me mention a couple things. This Wednesday night uh, is our first midpoint. I mentioned it last Sunday in my sermon uh, there's a lot of discipleship opportunities. Now, please hear me. You got to take a step. You got to have a want to in you. You got to have some hunger in you uh, to grow in Christ. And we want to put it out there and give you the opportunity. All right. So when you're walking out today, if you've got any questions about Wednesday night, there is a connecting uh, point table out there. Stop by there and uh, we'll get you plugged in. Let me mention a couple things. Uh, some of our men that have been in the leadership pipeline I think I said this last Sunday in my sermon, which is three semesters. They've done their three semesters. They're now ready to lead. Uh, they're going to start a men's group on the spiritual disciplines of the Christian life by Donald Whitney. Men, I'm telling you, uh, if you want to grow in your faith in Christ, get in the study. Spiritual disciplines of the Christian life. There are ladies' studies going on. I men mentioned my leadership pipeline here in the auditorium, and I want to be very clear. Uh, to, uh, to not uh, be mistaken, uh, the, my class is, is not for people that are the most spiritual in the church. Uh, it, is a, it is a Bible college seminary type level, but if you're in every man's a warrior or a ladies Bible study or other things, that's great. Don't leave that. Uh, stay where you're at. Whatever you're committed to, this is not an addition to what you're doing. Uh, this is just a class that I started uh, about a year and a half ago, that is is next level. It's not a class of, you know, come if you want to. Well, I don't really know. This is a, uh, you be there, you sign a covenant, you do the work, you do the prep. And so if you're interested in that type of class, 6 o'clock here in the auditorium on Wednesday night, uh, we'll get started with another semester. I've got the best news of all to share with you. Uh, we're going to have fried chicken for our dinner Wednesday night. Can I, can I get a witness right there? We have... We have dinner at 5 o'clock, and so if you want to come early and eat dinner, that's next door, 6 o'clock. Awana begins. All of our discipleship begins on Wednesday night. Men, I want to see you next Sunday night. 
okay? Next Sunday night at 5 o'clock, next door, we're going to have hamburgers and hot dogs, uh, a time of fellowship together. My friend Pastor Jim Locke from Hillcrest Baptist Church up on Nine Mile Road uh, is coming, and he's going to bring us a good challenge. Uh, Jim is the president of the Florida Baptist Convention uh, Pastors Conference this year, and I'm serving with him as the vice president and uh, just a good, good brother in the Lord, a good friend, and he's going to come challenge us next Sunday night. August the 28th, we're going to have another beach baptism, all right? If you need to be baptized, uh, please let us know in the church office. You can uh, sign up for that at the Connecting Point table. We'll do that at 6 o'clock out on Johnson's Beach and, of course, uh, give more details about that as we get close. Let's get in the Word, shall we? Galatians chapter number 1, verses 1 through 5 is our text today as we begin our journey in this series entitled Stay in the grace of Jesus. Will you say that with me? Stay. All right, everybody together. Stay in the grace of Jesus. I hope you were able to uh, grab one of the introductory notes we put out last week uh, to just read through that and set your mind and your heart uh, toward the book of Galatians. Uh, just some background information that I think uh, really sets the tone uh, for this book. Let me read the first five verses and I'll get into the message today is just really kind of an introductory message uh, for the book. Hear the word of the Lord, Galatians chapter 1, verse number 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him, Jesus, from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, God, we thank you for your word that is fresh bread for our souls. It is inspired, infallible, inerrant. Thank you for the book of Galatians, how it has stirred my soul as I begin to study through it. I pray now in this hour that you will help us to catch the heart of your inspired writer, Paul, as he writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, out of a burden, out of a concern, as he challenges the Christians in Galatia to stay, stay in the grace of Jesus. Don't drift, don't turn, don't twist it, don't change it, don't make accommodations to the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. As I prayed in this room yesterday, God, I pray that you would save the heart of anyone that has not truly been converted, that the gospel would be real, powerful, Holy Spirit infused in our minds and our hearts. Bring, bring us to the cross, bring us to salvation, bring us to repentance, anyone in this room that, that has not settled that. I pray for Christians today that 
we would recommit ourselves to this matter of grace and staying and sticking with grace. While there seems to be so many different versions of Christianity today, help us to stick with biblical Christianity and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do your work now in our hearts, we pray, for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. I love this time of the year. It's the fall, which means it's football season. Can I get a witness right there? Uh, it's fall camp, and uh, it doesn't matter if you're in the peewees or the elementary or the middle school or the high school or college or pro, uh, it's time for football. Someone corrected me after the first service today and said we're not, uh, football season is not upon us because they were playing football yesterday with some of these practice games, right? And come on, I don't have time for this, but they don't even put the real people out there playing. Football hadn't started yet. Come on, get with me now. Uh, but, but all the coaches, at whatever level it is, uh, they begin fall camp, and first day there's something that every coach does. He is determined to bring the intensity. And he brings the intensity because he wants his team to bring the intensity when they get on the field for their first game. I give you that little silly illustration to say the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians is bringing the intensity right off the bat. He doesn't beat around the bush. He gets right to the point. It's interesting that there are no commendations in the book of Galatians. In Corinthians, he, as messy as the church at Corinth was and all the things uh, that were going on, he still took time to say, I thank God for you. I thank God for you, my brothers and my sisters. To the church at Colossae, he referred to them as his holy brothers and sisters. To the church at Philippi, he said, you are my partners in gospel ministry. He paid a very high compliment to the church at Thessalonica when he said, I'm so proud of you. You have proven yourself. You are the model church. Churches in this area should look at you and your faithfulness and your ministry and should pattern their ministry after you. But when you read the book of Galatians, there is no fluff. There's no confectionery sugar. Uh, Paul doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't pacify the church. Why? Because this is a very important matter. There were some in the church who were defecting. We'll see next week in verses 6 through 10 that some are turning away from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. They're drifting away. They're listening to false teachers. And Paul is saying, you need to stay, stay. Don't drift, don't move, but stay in the grace of the Lord Jesus. When you think about Galatia, think of it, if you will, uh, on, a, on a map, think of it like a Scambia County, all right? The church at Galatia was not one church, uh, but rather it was churches sprinkled throughout a region. And there's really two theories about who Paul is writing to. One is what's called the Northern Galatian theory, and that would be that Paul is writing to the churches that are up in Northern Galatia. And uh, you've heard in history class about the Gauls, uh, G-A-U-L-S, the Gauls. And so some have said Galatians is Galatians written to this region. The problem with that is that none of the churches up in that region are mentioned in the New Testament. 
So that's the northern theory. Then we have the southern theory, which is what I hold to, and I think most scholars hold to, is that this letter is written to the churches that are in the southern region of uh, Galatia. You see them in the Bible, Phrygia, Iconium, and other places. Paul writes this letter probably in around the year 48. If you have a northern theory, it's 52 to 56. If you have a southern theory, it's around the year uh, 48, which means this is Paul's earliest letter. It's his most intense letter, and it's his earliest letter. He knew that the people in this region were under pressure. He knew that they were in danger of going two different directions. One direction was legalism. Legalism is when anyone tries to add something to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a work or there's an act. There's something that you must do. And once you do that, then you move away from the free grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's no longer the gospel. It's a works-based religion. And so there's the pressure for legalism. We'll see over in chapter 5, there's also this pressure for libertinism, liberty in Christ. And Paul will say very clearly that you cannot live your life in licentiousness. You, you can't follow the culture of hedonism and pleasure and just do whatever you want to do. No, you need to walk in the Spirit and don't fulfill the lust of your flesh. And so right off the bat, you can see that Paul is under attack. He's under attack. What's he under attack about? Well, his apostleship. Since Paul wasn't one of the twelve, some of these troublemakers had come into the church about a year after he had been there and declared his testimony, the gospel of Christ, started the church, they were attacking him, and they were saying that he was illegitimate. That since he wasn't one of the original twelve, he could not refer to himself as an apostle. And so, because they questioned the validity of who he was, it also brought some questions to the validity of the gospel message that he had proclaimed to them. Now, think about this. Paul arrives, and he's got this unbelievable testimony. How many of you have ever, in your mind, you're sitting around, you're thinking, man, I wish I had a testimony like Paul's, right? I mean, he's Saul of Tarsus, he's on the road to Damascus, he's on his way to persecute, uh, kill Christians, and, and Jesus meets him on the road, strikes him down, changes his life, and just like that, he becomes a pastor and a missionary, right? Well, now he's going around telling everybody his story. And no doubt there were people that heard his story that were like, yeah, 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 we, we've met crackpots like you, right? How many of you met a crackpot before? They've got some grand story. And you're going, man, this is just so off the wall. I don't know if I can believe it or not. Well, Paul encountered skepticism. And so these troublemakers said, no, no, there's no way, there's no way that he was that instantly and radically changed. At the same time, there were other people that were converting to Christianity, the Gentiles, and these troublemakers were saying, well, you know, you might follow Christ, but you're missing something. You need to be circumcised in order to be legitimate. Now, if you're taking notes, write down the name Judaizers, all right? J-U-D-A-I-Z-E-R-S. The Judaizers were the troublemakers. They were the ones that were actually working against 
the true gospel of Jesus Christ. They were trying to mix the Jewish law, Judaism, with Christianity to form a hybrid theology in the church. Now hear me today. There are people that are still trying to do that in 2022. And what they're doing is they are subverting the true gospel of Jesus Christ, which is not the gospel. When you add anything, Jesus plus whatever you want to put in that spot, Jesus plus nothing equals the gospel of Jesus Christ, the true gospel. And so Paul is riding with this burden because primarily they're trying to force Judaism on the church. Now, here's another good point to make, I think, about why I believe, we believe in the Southern theory and that the book was written in 48. In the year 49, Acts chapter 15 in your Bible is what we know as the Jerusalem Council. The church came together. There was this big debate over Judaism and Christianity, primarily circumcision. And at the Jerusalem Council, they decided, no, you do not have to be circumcised in order to be a Christian. Now, why is that significant? If Paul would have written this letter later on, no doubt he would have made mention of it. He doesn't mention it in any of the six chapters, which leads us to believe that this is truly his earliest writing in 48 A.D. And so here's what Paul does in this book. Paul hits the refresh button on the gospel of Jesus Christ. If I could share my heart with you, and I try to do that every week, and I'm going to, if I could share my heart with you in this moment, I, I, I want to say this to our church. I believe, I really do, I believe we're living in a day and a time where the true church, the big C church, the body of Christ, I believe we need to hit the refresh button on the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe that. I believe we're living in a time where we need to make it clear. I think we need to be careful when we say we need to have a big tent. Now, I'm okay with getting along with people who don't agree with me on everything, who don't see everything that I see eye to eye on a variety of second and third level things. But I'm telling you, I don't have a big tent when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying here, whoa, wait a minute. You're drifting away. You're defecting. You're turning away. And you need to get back. You need to get back to the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus. Don't leave it. Don't leave it. Stay with it. Stick with it. Don't desert it. You got in by grace, and you need to stick with grace. You need grace when you get saved when you're born again. But friends, hear me. You need grace every subsequent day of your life until Jesus calls you home. Grace. Stick with it. Stay with it. Stay in the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus because it's easy to get away from it. It's easy to come up with a works-based salvation or things you can do or thinking you can earn your way to heaven and friends, that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've read a lot of different sources for this, and so in my brain, I've got to get it all filed and get it up here and give it to you in like 40 minutes, right, on Sunday. 
But I, my friends have recommended some books, and one of them is Philip Graham Ryken's book on Galatians. And I was reading it the other day in his introduction, and he said that the book of Galatians could, could begin with these words, Dear Recovering Pharisee. I love that. Anybody want to raise both your hands? Come on now, how many of you are recovering Pharisee, right? Yeah, dear recovering Pharisee. You know, we think too highly of ourselves than we ought to think, and, and we think that our works make us something, and, and we just need to get back to the pure gospel and remind ourselves that we are nothing apart from the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus. Riken said this, he said, we're tempted to forget sometimes. Look at this. We're tempted to forget sometimes that Jesus is all we need. Jesus is all you need. Jesus is all I need. And when we forget that, we need to rediscover the gospel of God's free grace. You know what my prayer is for you? And I'll be honest, I've never preached through the book of Galatians before. This is my first time, so, so I hadn't pulled out some notes and dusting them up and changing them up a little bit, all right? This is fresh bread from my soul, okay? As I'm studying and reading this, I really think that statement there encapsulates my heart right now. I, 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 want, I pray that the Point Church, I'm not responsible for other churches as a pastor, bishop, overseer. I'm responsible for this church. Here's what I'm praying. I'm praying that we would rediscover, that we would just hit the refresh button and we would rediscover God's amazing grace now look in the text with me look at it with me i want you to see first of all as paul is writing he writes about the authority of the author the authority of the author notice he identifies himself as paul an apostle now that's not uncommon for him to refer to himself as an apostle he uses that word in eight out of his 11 letters but this one's different. Remember I said intensity a minute ago? This is different. In the other letters, Paul says something like this, called to be an apostle. But here, he just gets right to the point, and he says, I am an apostle. Why did he do that? Well, because he was under attack. And he wants to say very clearly and very boldly, hey, this is not something that I called myself to. This is not something that a man or a group called me to. But this is the call of God upon my life to be an apostle. Now, I want you to think about apostle like this. I want you to think of it with a, with a big A and a little a. Here's what we believe. We believe that in the Bible there is an apostleship. Hey, Charlie, will you put that up there for me, bud, the word apostle? There is an apostleship that we find in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, Jesus gets the disciples together, the apostles together, and he commissions them and he sends them out. And he says, I want you to go and I want you to travel around and I want you to share the gospel of the kingdom. He gave them the ability to, to heal, to raise the dead, uh, to make the, 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 the blind to see, to perform miracles. And we see this apostolic office that we believe is the foundation of the New Testament church. Remember as the church is birthed that they were not traveling around passing out copies of Romans and John, okay? They weren't doing that. 
So the apostles were speaking the word of the Lord. In Acts chapter 1, we see at the selection of an apostle that a qualification of that was that they had to have seen the resurrected Lord with their own eyes. Okay, So you got the 12 apostles that had been with Jesus and seen Jesus. What about Paul? Paul very clearly says in 1 Corinthians, I have seen Jesus. Where did he see him? He saw him on the road to Damascus when his life was radically changed. So therefore, Paul very adequately and with veracity says, I am an apostle. An apostle declaring the word of the Lord. Now the question gets asked, what about, for example, in Ephesians where it says he gave to the church apostles. Now I want you to think about this word. This word means to be sent out. It means to be dispatched. There's a Hebrew word that, that, that means that you are the messenger. You go out in front. You are the spokesman, if you will, for whoever sent you out. And so there's an essence in a general sense, I'll just call it small a for the sermon, there, there's a general sense in which we are sent out, we are dispatched to speak of the one that sent us. Christian, I want to remind you this week as you go into your workplace, uh, students, as you start back to school in our neighborhoods and the doctor's office, that we are dispatched to speak of the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus in our life. But let's get back to Paul for just a minute. Here's what Paul is doing. He is affirming God's specific call upon his life. And he's saying, this is not a designation that was placed on me by men, but this is a call from God. He's saying, there's no group of people that laid their hands on me. No one validated me. No one sent me out. But God has sent me out to do this work. Let me add to this, if I may, here in 2022. The Scripture admonishes the New Testament church to not lay hands on an elder suddenly. Don't lay hands on an elder suddenly. What does that mean? Well, here's the way I understand it. If you read through your Bible in the Old Testament, there were the prophets of God who spoke the words of God to the people. There were priests, the high priests. You come over into the New Testament, and now we see that there are apostles. And when that last apostle passed off the scene, the Word of God comes and is and is in written form for us, the last person passed off the scene, there is no longer an apostolic office. If you meet somebody that calls themselves an apostle, run. Because they typically mean, I'm going to do signs and wonders and miracles in your presence. I'm amazed at people that just can't live with the fact that Jesus is enough. That's a weak amen. Jesus is enough. He's enough. So we have apostles. And then we come on into the New Testament and we see that God gives the church pastors, evangelists, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, I give you all of those to say, I believe with all of my heart that every single one of them come with a call from God. There's a call upon your life. Listen, you don't just sign up to be a pastor. Don't even try it. I'm just going to tell you. Don't try it. 
you better know that God's called you to do it. There's a call of God upon your life. That call rests upon you to, to do what you're doing. It's not the old Southern Gospel song years ago, you know, Mama called and Daddy sent. Okay, no, no, no. Paul is saying this. Look, I, I haven't had anybody lay their hands on me. I, I haven't been sent out from Antioch from the church. I've not been sent out from the Jerusalem church. It was years before Paul even went to Jerusalem. There was no human validation. As a matter of fact, Paul is under attack. He is being discredited in the call that he is professing upon his life. And just hear me today. If there's a call of God upon your life, it doesn't matter if you can find somebody to validate you or not. You've got to do what God calls you to do. You've got to be faithful to that call. And that's exactly what Paul did. And here's what he said. What was it about this call? Here it is. Ready? This calling is about authority. It is to speak the Word of God. Authority. When you see apostle in the Scripture, you see authority. What is that authority? It is to speak the words of God. Please hear me today. I have no authority to speak of apart from the words of God. This is my authority. We are a church that believes very strongly in the authoritative Word of God. This is our authority. It's not a book of suggestions. It's not a book that just says, hey, if you'll do some of these things, you'll have a better life. No, we believe Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we submit ourselves to His authority because He has all authority both in heaven and on earth. And then God Almighty in His providence gave us a book that is our final authority. And Paul says, I'm just declaring, listen, I didn't get my message from men. I didn't get it at a seminary or a Bible college. I got my message from God. Let me ask you a question. Right now, 2022 in real time, do we need to hear God's word to man more or do we need to hear man's words about God? Let me ask that again. Do we need to hear God's words to man more or do we need to hear man's words about God? Now, I give you that question because when you read through the book of Galatians, if you get focused on man's words about God, those words will lead you away from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. If these young, tender Christians would have listened to the Judaizers. That's why Paul is not playing around. He's not beating around the bush. He's getting right to the point. He's saying, look, this is serious business. This is God's work. This is not from man. This is from God. And when God speaks, He speaks with authority, and we had better listen. Not only the Word of God, but the work of God. This is not man's work. Paul's saying, look, this is not about me. How many of you know the church is not about the pastor? Say amen. The church is not about the staff. It's not about the leaders. I got news for you. It ain't about you either. The church is about the one that died for it. That gave us, this church belongs to Christ. The other day I was listening to 
Jim Simbla on a podcast, and, and uh, I think I might have said this last Sunday, but he, he made a point that's just ringing in my head. He, he, he was talking about, you know, Brooklyn Tab has grown to this big church, and somebody said, well, what about your vision? He said, what vision? A pastor's not supposed to have a vision? It's not a pastor's church. This church belongs to Christ. What we're supposed to do is love him, serve him, and pray, and do whatever's right in front of you. I shouted amen to what nobody listening but me. But I just shouted amen. The church belongs to him. Paul says, This is the work of the this is the word from God, and this is the work of God. God is working his redemptive plan right now. I love the end of verse number one. He says, Who raised him from the dead? Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment. Every year at Easter time, we have Good Friday service. And on Friday, we remember the death of our Lord, the crucifixion. We do not have weekly services on Friday. We have weekly services on Sunday. Why do we meet on Sunday? I'll tell you why. Because we are resurrection people. We believe that Jesus died, but we believe that God raised him from the dead. And the church through the centuries has always gathered on Sunday morning. Church, hear me. We do not have to wait to Easter Sunday to sing up from the grave he arose. The church meets every week to say, we serve a risen Savior and he's in the world today. I know that he is living no matter what men may say. How do I know he lives? He's alive. Because he lives in my heart. Here's your testimony. If you're a gospel-believing Christian, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. And the same resurrection that God the Father brought to pass and Jesus Christ our Lord took place in your life. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. But through the Holy Spirit, God made you alive through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the redemptive work that God is doing today through His Son, the Lord Jesus. So Paul's very clear here. I've got authority. I want you to notice something else he says. Though. Look at verse number 2. He says, And all the brothers who are with me, don't you love it when you've got something to say and then you have somebody else, something to say, it's very important, and then you have somebody else that can back it up. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, he's telling the truth. Paul is saying, look, I'm not some dude that went to bed on Domino's Pizza and had this big crazy dream. Greg Schick will appreciate that. I think he was in the first service. He works for Domino's. He's not, I didn't have this crazy dream. No, no, no. Listen, there's a whole bunch of other people that can testify. My life was radically changed by Jesus. Man, I'm so glad 2,000 years later, here you and, are, you and I are sitting in this room today, and you and I can say, yeah, Paul, tell them. Because it happened to me. It happened to me. He says, too, are, are all my brothers who were with me. So, so we're together in this, the gospel. We're a team. We're a family. We're speaking to the churches of Galatia. Let, let me quickly move on to my second and my last point. Notice in verses 3 through 5, this opening statement that Paul makes to the church of Galatia. It is a statement of impartation. He's imparting a blessing over them. Notice the words that he uses. He uses grace and peace. 
he makes a reference to the sovereignty of God and his redemptive plan. And then he finishes up, we're going to sing in just a minute before we leave the doxology. He finishes up with praise, honor, and glory to our Heavenly Father. You know how kind of on Sundays, before we walk out of here, most every Sunday, we'll either sing or pray Numbers chapter 6. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make His face shine upon you. It's just an impartation of blessing over all of our families. That's what Paul is doing here as he's speaking to the church at Galatia. These Christians who are very tender, he first of all reminds them of grace. What is grace? It is the unmerited favor of God. We need to just rejoice for just a minute again that the Gospel made it to us. We do not deserve salvation. We don't deserve it. I didn't deserve for God to send His only Son in my sin, but yet His grace, His grace has been poured out on me. The unmerited favor of God. If you're a Christian today and you truly have been saved by His grace, you know that your salvation is not about what you did. It's about what Christ has done. The finished work of Christ on the cross. It's all about grace, unmerited favor. You can't work. You can't be baptized enough or, or take enough communion or join enough churches to make it into heaven. No, no, no. Salvation is not about what you do. It's about what Christ has done. And then there's something that just goes right with that. It's that word peace. Next year we'll go to Israel again. We've got a great group that's signing up and we're planning to go. And I love going over there. But one of the things you hear a lot over there is you hear, Shalom. Shalom. On Friday night at 6 o'clock, it starts the Sabbath, right? 6 p.m. Friday to 6 p.m. Saturday. And, and you'll hear, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. In other words, Sabbath. It's time to rest. Shalom. You know what that word means? It means all is well. All is well. There's just something weird about us as Christians. You know the Bible calls you peculiar, right? We're weird. Come on now, let's be honest. Some of us try too hard at that, but no, we're, we're different. We're just different. Because we understand the grace and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything around us can be falling apart. The world can be burning down and be in chaos. And we can say, Shalom. Shalom. All is well. Why is all well? How can, it, how can all be well? All is well when you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Watch this. It really is this simple. It's this simple. We're born into this world at enmity with God, at friction with God. Romans chapter 5, it says we're at enmity with Him. Our relationship with Him is not what it ought to be because of sin. But God made a way through Jesus Christ our Lord for that relationship to be repaired. He pours grace out on us, His unmerited favor through His Son. And then when you know Christ is your Lord and Savior, you know that the worst thing that could happen to you today, the worst thing, would be that you open your eyes and you're breathing celestial air. 
Come on now, get a little excited with me here. And for the first time in your life, you see Jesus face to face. That's the worst thing that could happen to you. So that enables us, as Paul said to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 4, that through Christ, He is our peace. And because we are in Him and He is in us, we have a peace that passes all understanding. In other words, it makes no sense to the people around you that, that people are, are doing you wrong or the world is falling apart or you're going through tragedy and you can with a calm spirit, maybe even through tears running down your face, you can say, all is well. All is well. You can only say that when you're in the grace of the Lord Jesus. Who is He? Paul says he's the one that was raised from the dead. Verse number 4. Paul says he is the one who gave himself. He gave himself. On the day Jesus died on the cross, it was not a temporary moment where the Father had lost control of the world and humanity. That's why Paul stood up on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Look at, look at this verse. He said, gang, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You see, you just thought you grabbed Him and crucified. You just thought you convicted Him with your anger and your malice toward the Son of God. You, you just thought you won the argument when you accused Him of crimes that He never committed. You thought you won. But here's what you didn't understand. This all happened as a part of the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God had it all planned out. That Jesus would give Himself willingly our Savior was not a weakling who could not take care of Himself. He could have called 10,000 angels. But He was being obedient to the will of the Father to give Himself on the cross. So what is the fruit of that? Look in your Bible. Look at the end of verse number 4. The fruit of that is that Jesus delivered us from this present evil age. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. Is there anybody here that needs me to stop and take ten minutes and explain to you how the world is evil? You know, the world's always been evil. It's not something new. It's just now you watch evil in real time on your phone. It's just in front of us all the time, right? The world has always been... Paul said to these Galatians in 48, you are living in an evil age. You and I are living in an evil age. And it does, it does feel like, it does feel like the world is waxing worse and worse. As we share the gospel and we tell the good news, it seems like it's getting harder and harder to tell people the old, old story. Tim Keller wrote a piece some time back. We went through it in our um, leadership pipeline, but he wrote a piece about how 
the American mind is getting further and further away from God and the Gospel. I was reading another book this week, just started reading it, entitled Confronting Christianity. And uh, Rebecca McLaughlin, I think's her name, and she makes the point in there that we need to remind ourselves often that Christianity did not originate in the West. Hear me today, church. Christianity did not originate in America. Christianity originated over there. Some of us are going to go there in a few months, all right? We need to just rejoice that the gospel made it over here to us, right? So here we are, and we talk about how we're a Christian nation and so forth. Please hear me. Keller says that the American mind is getting further and further away from the gospel. 20, 30 years ago, you could have a conversation with people about church and God and the gospel, and you didn't have as much ground to make up as you do today. The mind is separated. And so, as we share the gospel, we want people to receive the gospel, but hear me, no one can truly receive the gospel unless they first know what the gospel is. We have so many versions today, even under the big umbrella of the evangelical church, of what it means to know Christ. As I listen to sermons and Sometimes I'll listen to churches and so forth, and I'm listening to what's going on, and I'm scratching my head, and, and, and I hear churches that are, are not preaching a clear gospel. Okay, hear me now. I don't, I don't get up in the morning and sprinkle gunpowder on my cereal. I'm not angry all the time. But when you get up in front of a church and you get everybody in the room to pray a sinner's prayer that doesn't say anything about sin, you haven't led anybody to Jesus. But we send people out the door and tell them they just got saved and they're on the way to heaven and we ain't said a word about the cross. Could somebody say amen today? Could somebody help me? What, what is that? We'll get into that. Please come back next week. Because we're going to get into verses 6 through 10. Before somebody can receive the gospel, they need to understand the call to follow Jesus is a call to take up your cross. And follow me. The cross meant suffering, hardship, pain, difficulty. That's why J.C. Rowell said a religion that costs nothing is worth nothing. A cheap Christianity without a cross will prove in the end a useless Christianity without a crown. I don't know about you, but even here in the good old Bible Belt, people say things like, well, you know, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe in hell. Okay, let me, let me make sure you understand something. A Christian means you've been saved. What were you saved from? You were saved from hell. But you don't believe in hell? A plus B equals C. I don't think you're a Christian. I, I'm a Christian, but I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't believe in the Trinity. I don't believe in the Father, Son, Lord. I, I'm a Christian. You know, I'm a good person, but I don't go to church. Okay, I'm not saying that a Christian, a person that's a Christian, maybe is out of church or whatever. That's, that's something that's between them and God. But I sure don't want to stand before God one day and not obey Him and be faithful to the church. I don't want to forsake the assembling of ourselves together make excuses about that and call myself a Christian. There's a lot of people today that, that just don't have the fruit of what they possess or profess. There's no fruit there. 
I'm a Christian, but I, I you know, I don't believe I don't believe everything in the Bible. Man, I would just I would just do some soul searching. What does it mean? How many how many just come on? I'm, I'm gonna be finished here. How many of you believe we need to be careful to get just be clear on the gospel? Just just be clear on what it means to follow Christ. You've got to believe. You've got to repent of your sins. You've got to believe. I, I love the book. I mentioned it. I think I told you all this when I got back from California. I'm almost done. If you've checked out, just give me three or four more minutes, all right? I think I mentioned when we got back from California that there was a, uh, Pastor Brown and I were going to LAX airport to come home, and there was a, uh, a Polish, he called himself a Polish Catholic, uh, who was driving us to the airport, and and uh, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh, yeah, I, I've already, you know, I've already given some, some bap- people here for the Baptist convention a ride. And he said, hey, I just want to ask y'all, can y'all explain to me what does that word even mean, a Baptist? And so we explained that to him, had a wonderful conversation with him. When we got out of the car at the LAX, we happened to have a few copies of, of this book in our backpack that had been given to us. And so we handed it to him as we, as we went to leave. And we said, would you promise us that you're going to sit down and read this book. He said, I promise you we will. This book, uh, somebody after the first service today told me that they were going to order some copies. In the last two or three weeks, I've had people screenshot this and send it to me and say they're reading through it. It's just a little book entitled, What is the Gospel? What is the Gospel? You know, in, in, in seminary, they, 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 they talk about this. So you get up and preach a sermon like this, and you throw out there all these facts and all these things and then they tell us the thing about the person sitting in the pew, after you get done with your 35 or 40-minute spill, somebody in the room is saying, so what? What does all that mean to me? How can I apply that to my broken life, my broken marriage? How can I apply that to the things I have going on? So if we say, what is the gospel? And you say, Jesus died on the cross, he shed his blood for our sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day and he ascended back to heaven. There's a whole lot of people that say, so what? You've just told me a historical narrative about a man named Jesus. What does that have to do with me? Greg Gilbert said in his book, What is the Gospel? As you wrestle with that, the gospel and its implications for us, you need to wrestle with four things. I'm going to show them to you real fast and I'm done. Number one, who made us and to whom are we accountable? Who made us? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. There is a God, we have a creator, and we are responsible to Him. We are accountable to Him. That's the beauty of this book, right? The Word of God. Number two, what is our problem? In other words, Are we in trouble and why? There are a lot of people in this world today that have no idea they're even in trouble. People think, oh, I'm a good, look, I'm a good person. I give to charity. I take care of my neighbor. I've I've never cheated anybody. I've never lied to anybody. I'm a good person. If anybody might make it, I might make it. There are a lot of people that have no clue that they're in trouble. There are a lot of reasons for that, but let me give you one. We're living in a day today where you hear very little preaching about hell. 
about a lake of fire. You hear very little, very little preaching today on the wrath of God. When you talk about wrath, it doesn't feel good. It's a thought that I, for me, I don't even like to wrap my mind around. Lost men and women and young people and college students on this earth, when Jesus comes again and the wrath of God is poured out, the sight and a scene in a movie I don't want to see or live. There are a lot of people today that are in trouble. They're in trouble. And I say this, God help me by your spirit to be humble, not prideful. I say this because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. Not because I'm a good dude, not because I've never sinned, but because of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I have my arms wrapped around Romans chapter 8 and verse number 1 that says there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. So I don't have to worry about His wrath. Because when I was 13 years old, I came to a point where I realized I was in trouble because of my sin. Number three, quickly. What is God's solution for the problem I have? How has He acted to save us? I just read it for you, didn't I? Not in Galatians chapter 1. He gave His Son to die on the cross. He, he raised Him up from the grave so that all who will acknowledge that they're a sinner, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, confess their sin and confess Him as Lord, may be born again by His grace. You have to respond to His grace as the Spirit is drawing you. So right now, number four in this room, maybe there's somebody, there's one person. Maybe there's one, maybe. You've got friends, family, somebody that you need to talk to this week about the Gospel. So the question is, how do I, myself, right here, right now, how do I come to be included in that salvation? What makes this good news for me and not just someone else? You should first of all be thankful that you have heard the Gospel. Be thankful that the Holy Spirit is saying in your heart and your mind right now, yes, yes, yes. Come to me. Come to me, all you who are thirsty. And I will give you a drink of water and you'll never thirst again. Come to me. Every person on the face of the earth, hear me, I'll say more about this next week. Would y'all come back next week? I hope you do. I can't wait. Every person needs to know they're a sinner and they've missed the mark. Sin is... Rebellion, disobedience to a holy and righteous God. You've got to know that before you can become a Christian. You've got to acknowledge, I am a sinner. I have sinned against God. You've got to come to a point through the Spirit's work in your mind and your heart where you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ not as a way, a good way, but the best way. But Jesus is the only way. John 14 says, Hear me. I do not believe we're going to get to heaven and all religions of the world are going to be represented. Please hear me. 
The only people who will be gathered around the throne of God will be Christians who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's it. So I want you, I pray you're washed in the blood. You must confess your sin and confess Him as Lord. The Lord of your life. And now that that's happened, I hear people across the room saying amen. I think there's something inside of us that's saying, yes! Jesus did it for me, in me, and through me. And when that happens, you can truly do what Paul does at the end of verse number 5. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Years ago, I read a book called Glory Hunger by J.R. Vassar. And he says there's something inside of us that we long for glory. We long for glory. We hunger for glory. But when Jesus saves you, your glory hunger changes. Your glory hunger is now that He would receive all the glory, praise, and honor from now and forevermore. Amen.